Welcome to Bitcoin Fixes This, where we explore the impact that Bitcoin will have in all aspects of society. Today's guest is Ali, owner of Tahini's Restaurants and Bitcoin Enthusiast. He is a small business owner who's been through a lot of different ups and downs in the business. In this episode, he talks about what it takes to make it in the world of small business, why he decided to put the treasuries of his company into Bitcoin, and why fiat money is so destructive. To say Ali is a Bitcoin enthusiast would be an understatement. He's been cheerleading Bitcoin and explaining how Bitcoin is great for small businesses since his discovery of it more than a year ago. I loved learning about the hustle, the unfair advantages of the large government subsidized companies and why companies like his have a fighting chance with Bitcoin. This is the future of businesses built using Bitcoin savings technology. I hope you learned something. Ali Tahinis, how's everything going, man? Good, Jimmy. How are you? It's an honor to finally be at your show. I'm a big fan. I've been listening for a while now. Oh, well, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's always interesting to get like different perspectives and stuff. And you certainly have an interesting perspective because you've been running a small business for a while. And obviously, you have decided to put some of your treasuries into Bitcoin. So, But before we get into all of that, can you tell us for my audience just like how you got started and how you got into the business that you're in? Uh, yeah, for sure. So I came to Canada from Egypt back in 2011. We were already Canadian citizens at that point, but I came with my brother to kind of start our careers here. Mm. And we came here, we were looking for a business to kind of uh, buy outright or start together. And we found this cool restaurant in London, Ontario. That was doing pretty well. So we decided, you know what, let's get into the restaurant industry. And we just bought that restaurant outright. And we started from there. And then we grew that restaurant from small, like little local shawarma place to a franchise. We now have over six locations in Ontario. And we're nonstop growing the business. And here we are. <laughs> what made you want to go into this industry? As you said, you guys were kind of looking for something to go and you know make money off of. Why the restaurant industry of all things? To be honest, Jimmy, like we didn't really plan it to be in the mm. restaurant industry, but we liked the that business in particular, and we wanted to be in business. So, comparing it to the other options that we had at the time, this was the best in our opinion, the best option in the market. So, and it felt uh, relatable because it was a Middle Eastern restaurant. We're Middle Eastern, we came from Egypt and we felt like we could do a pretty good job running a business like this. But we went in completely blind. We had no restaurant experience whatsoever. <laughs> but yeah, we made it happen, we made it work. We just worked hard and that's pretty much it. Yeah, well, so tell us a little bit more about that. Like, what was it like running a restaurant for the first time? Because I'm sure many of our listeners like know what it's like to go to a restaurant, but running one is not so easy. So can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So at first, it was very overwhelming going in, just not knowing anything. You kind of have to learn everything from scratch. And then you can't just stop there. So you got to improve on everything that you learn too to improve your business because 
what we learned early on is that if you just try to stay consistent, like constant, without growing in the restaurant industry, you're actually going to shrink in size. People are going to get like bored of your food and, and quality might go down uh, whether you realize it or not. So learning everything from scratch was quite a challenge. It was fun. It's just business management at the end of the day. If you have like a business mentality, it's just like running any other business. So you got to think of it that way. Uh, food is tricky because food is very personal to people. You make mm. one mistake and people don't want to come to, to your restaurant again. So it's unforgiving. <laughs> Mm. Run, uh, working in the restaurant industry. But you learn that uh, early on and, and you strive to make it perfect every day and it becomes your life. Mm. What are the economics for a restaurant like? You mentioned that you have like six, you know, franchises and, and so on. But I can't imagine it's that easy to like expand and things. And I don't know what the profit margins are like, but what's the economic aspect of running a restaurant like? Yeah, so it's actually not bad. What you need to have good numbers in a restaurant business is you need volume and you need to control like every little aspect about your food cost structure, your labor structure, your rent, you know, like, mm -hmm. so there's a lot that goes into it. Once you have all these numbers down, you know exactly what your labor cost is, how to control that, what your food cost is, and then you serve good food and you have like volume, like people come to your restaurant, then you can make pretty good numbers running a restaurant. So the way we did it is we ran the first restaurant for, uh, I believe it was like three, four years. Then we opened the second one. I ran that for about two years. And then we opened the third one, ran it for a year. Then we started the franchising like structure and model where other people can come. They take our model, they open it, we, do, we build the restaurant for them, we train them, and they run a tahini. Same model that you know, McDonald's or, or Popeye would use. Hmm. So yeah, that's pretty much it. We have out of the six locations, four of them are corporate and two of them are franchisees. Hmm. And when you have a franchisee, do they go into debt to essentially be able to franchise a restaurant or like what sort of, or do they come in with cash? Like, how does that all work? Yeah. So they have to have some liquid assets to speak of. Not a lot, but they, they do have to have some in order to secure financing mm. with the bank, unless they just have like the whole amount to build the whole restaurant as cash, which is around like uh, around mm. three hundred thousand dollars, or three hundred to four hundred, depending on the space of the restaurant. But if they have smaller amounts, they can. Uh, we've secured a good banking relations, and mm. what they do is they, we just secure a, a loan with the bank, and it's backed by Tahini's the business and they just open it, finance it, and they pay it off as probably within the first like few years of the business. Hmm. I see. I see. Yeah. So you mentioned that you 
have like four corporate restaurants and two franchisees, like that can't be easy, like having to manage four different restaurants. Like, are you in and out all the time? Like, what's the current like model? Yeah, it's pretty harsh right now. I'm not going to lie. But we've resorted to a, you know, very well organized corporate structure that would have people that are in charge of everything from marketing to operations to franchise to we open a factory as well Mm. like a commissary like a food distributor Mm. that makes all the food all the sauces all the spices everything and then ships them out to all the restaurants so that that's its own business now like that business by itself supplies uh, to other restaurants as well as supply we supply to like over 50 restaurants in Mm. ontario so we've gotten everything it's taken a, a lot of years and a lot of hard work but we've gotten it down to basically like a structure a corporate structure that works there's people in charge of everything and yeah we're hustling the goal is for tahinis to be uh, everywhere and with a good financial strategy with sound money like bitcoin with determination i think we can go global and we can have tahinis at every corner Hmm. Okay, so you've obviously made a good deal of money and you're using that the money that you made and you're putting it into Bitcoin and putting it into treasuries. How has that sort of affected your business? Are you are you able to save more now? Are you able to expand faster? Are you able to not have to rely on banks? Like how has Bitcoin sort of like changed your business? So making the decision to our company's balance sheet into Bitcoin was the best business decision we've ever made in our lives, not because it helped us do something that we couldn't do. We never told today, we never had to resort to selling any of our Bitcoin, but it put us in a position of strength. It put our company in a position that's 10 times better than would have been without Bitcoin. And Just having that power, especially in the position that we're in right now, because we're starting to get affected by the inflation as as a Mm. restaurant. Mm. So as of today, the price of uh, the cost of chicken that we have to source went up by 30% over the past like six months. Mm. Okay. And chicken mm-hmm. is our the backbone of our business, Jimmy. Like chicken mm-hmm. is everything. You see mm-hmm. the pictures and we post like like eighty percent of our food is, is chicken, right? So that it led to a problem because we can't just raise prices right now. And the reason we can't raise prices is our competitors are not raising prices, right? Mm-hmm. Our direct like shawarma competitors, you know, everybody that has a shawarma restaurant in the province, we're following each and every one of those restaurants. So none of them raise prices. And the reason they didn't raise prices as well is because big chicken restaurants like Popeye's and McDonald's and Costco, they haven't raised prices, right? Mm. And it's kind of unfair because they're like chicken monopolies and they have like a thousand x more buying power than we do so 
we're in this game of, you know, just if we raise our prices, we lose market share. If mm. we keep prices the same, we're losing profit margin. And there's a third option of making the quality like lower or uh, mm. lowering the amount of chicken. But that's mm. also going to, you know, make us lose customers. So it's just put us in a, in a position of weakness. And because of Bitcoin, we feel that we're in a position of strength. And mm. we're not going to compromise in our quality and our food just because of inflation. So Bitcoin put us in a good position to say, no, fuck that. We're not going to compromise <laughs> on anything. And mm. yeah, that's something that I feel personally that it's helped with. And just, you know, Bitcoin delivered for us. You know, it did what it, it's promised to do. It never diluted our wealth. It protected us against inflation. And then you have like, that's why like I got really upset when somebody like Nassim Taleb came out and said, well, all you got to do to protect inflation is open a business. The thing he doesn't understand is the competition dynamic, right? Even if you open mm. a business, you can't just raise prices willy-nilly whenever inflation hits, right? And that's, you know, as soon as he said that, I knew that this guy probably never managed the business in his life or else he wouldn't say that on CNBC and give horrible advice to millions of people out there. Mm -hmm. So hopefully I can, you know, the thing that we're passionate about here is making good food and Bitcoin. You know, I love promoting Bitcoin because I feel like I'm promoting human freedom. I feel like I'm promoting something that's good for society. That's bigger than us as a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And that just helps people. Right. And, you know, we'll continue to do that every day. And I'm super excited to be in the space and, and to talk to people like you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So how did you get into sort of Bitcoin in the first place? I mean, it, it didn't come out of nowhere. Like, and how did you start putting some of your, you know, corporate treasures into Bitcoin? What's the story behind that? Yeah, so it started in 2020. Mm -hmm. we're, we're a class of 2020. We're mm -hmm. pretty new to this space. And after March of 2020, I had this feeling that there's something really messed up with the financial situation and mm -hmm. that I needed to find a solution for my personal wealth. So mm -hmm. I kind of went on this quest in search of a solution and then I bumped into the number zero in Bitcoin by Robert Breedlove. And I bumped into mm. Preston Pitch and Saifedean's mm. book. And so I kept reading and learning. Uh, the more I read and learn, the more I buy Bitcoin. And then I bumped into Jeff Booth's uh, book, Price of Tomorrow, devoured that in like three days and then bought more Bitcoin. And I just kept buying it more personally, and then I kept dragging my partners in with me. Mm. And I felt like I found a solution, mm. and it grew from this like cool investment idea to the best investment idea to a way of life where I need to incorporate my business into it. I need to incorporate my kids into it. I need to incorporate you know, my family, everyone, right? So it kind of consumed me personally and then my partners. And then we were sitting and talking for two times, I believe, 
about putting the company's like treasury into Bitcoin. And then, but we didn't really like pull the trigger on it. And then as soon as we heard the micro strategies, that first time buy that they ever did, it was like 250 million, I believe. Mm -hmm. That's when it was like, that's what pushed us over the cliff. And we said, mm -hmm. you know what? This is a race of accumulation. Everybody's going to want to own Bitcoin. Every corporation is going to want to buy it. They eventually will. So we got to go all in. And we did that. And then here we are. <laughs> and you still haven't had to sell any Bitcoin, which is rather remarkable. How have you managed to do that? Well, good question, actually, Jimmy, because a lot of people are asking me about, you know, like, how do we take Bitcoin payments and all that? And the reason why we never had to sell any Bitcoin is because we never uh, used it as a payment method. Mm. We just used it as a savings technology. So we operate 100% in fiat. We pay our employees, our suppliers, our rent, our electricity. And then whatever's left, the profit, whatever profit's left, we just take that and we just convert it into Bitcoin. And that profit, we never had to sell to this day to expand. The, the way we're able to do any of our expansions is we just, we finance it and then we just put it as an expense, you know, we put the, those payments as, as an expense. And that's how we never sold any Bitcoin. Mm. A simple strategy, but not a lot of people are, you know, realize that they can do it with their business, but it's very effective. It's very helpful for your business. I think any business right now is going to struggle with inflation and with monopolies of their industries. And you need some sort of edge. You need to have a balance sheet strategy, you know, otherwise you're just going to fall behind year after year. And mm -hmm. you're going to wake up five years down the road with your money being worthless. And you're going to say, mm -hmm. man, I wish, <laughs> I wish I figured out this Bitcoin thing earlier. And you no, know, that's why we're promoting it here. You know, we want, we love it when small businesses get into Bitcoin. Yeah, of course, it's nice when you hear the big corporation, you know, announce their, their billion dollar buys or whatever. But for me, I get really pumped up when a small business DMs me and asks me about, hey, like, we're going to do the same thing what you guys are doing. And we want to know how to do this or how to do that. And this is what keeps us going. This is why we promote human freedom. And this is what gets us up in the morning. Mm. Well, so I had a question about like your being a small business. What sort of regulations have you seen over the past year and a half with coronavirus and everything? I imagine that couldn't have been easy. And to some degree, I imagine it's still very difficult. What has that been like? Yeah, it's been tough, Jimmy. We were forced to close down our dine-in area, but we're already operating most of our business with deliveries, online delivery platforms like Uber Eats and Get the Dishes and all these, DoorDash and all these things, and then takeout, like people just come in and, you know, pick up two or three shawarmas and, and, you know, take it to their families. And our business has to adapt to this shift in the way people order food. 
luckily we were already there. We were integrated with all the online platforms and we were able to make that transition quite mm. easily. But yeah, for the first month, I remember the first like March of 2020, it, within one week, our sales dropped like 80% in a week. <laughs> mm. And it's quite devastating because we didn't know like how long this thing's going to last or, or anything. We, we laid off people and we tried to get them back, but they said, no, we're getting free money from the government, you know, and that's part of also the reason why we felt like something was, you know, messed up with the, you know, financial economy and we felt like there was too much money flying around and, and it was going to, you know, it was being worth less as time goes by. So yeah, we just hustled through it, Jimmy, you know, like we did what any business owner would do, you know, you just hustle through it. Something like that, you know, Bitcoin wouldn't save you from a situation like this. You need to just make your business work. And if it works and you've done the Bitcoin decision, uh, now you're, uh, you have a successful business and you're in a position of strength to do, to expand your business however you want or to do all the things that you want to do with your business. So it has been challenging. It has been tough, but you got to fight through it. That's the mm. best advice I can give to people. Mm. And it sounds like you had some labor problems, maybe even some you know regulatory problems and things like that. Like, how do you deal with the fact that people are getting paid more to not work? And like, how do you hire people in that sort of weird incentive environment? Yeah, it, it was backwards, Jimmy. Like, we tried to get people hired after business started picking back up in 2020 and then they were just like nope we're we're good you know we're getting free money at home and we were like okay that's you know so we actually had to for a while there we had to raise our pay just to attract the people staying at home and so we had to basically compete with the government in, mm. in in paying employees. So yeah, we did that. But then at one point we said, you know what? You know, we don't want to come back. Screw you guys. We're just going to hire a whole new crew of people and train them from scratch. And we did that and it, it worked out fine. And, you know, in our industry, I feel like there's always some people that are willing to work. You just have to really look for them <laughs> but <laughs> they're not easy to find but you know so you find you end up finding good people eventually yeah i've noticed that about like small businesses even here in austin and everywhere else you see help wanted signs just absolutely everywhere and like you know the reason is because no one really has to work so they you know like they get paid maybe 20 percent more for working versus sitting at home and doing nothing and they'd rather just you know sit at home yeah it feels very off and and i can't imagine how difficult it must be for a small business owner to have to kind of deal with all of that it's really hard jimmy like i have my sister and her husband they're dentists they have a few clinics here in london ontario they have it even even worse because most of their employees are like female hygienists and dental assistants and yeah. they have their kids like staying at home and not going to school 
And it's even mm. harder to get them to come back to work because they say, oh, we can't leave our kids at home by themselves. Mm. So we're just going to stay mm. at home, get paid, and you go figure it out. You can't come. Mm. So, yeah, it's tough on, on medium and, and small businesses. And it's just the reality. <laughs> it's, a, it's the backwards <laughs> reality that we have to deal with right now. It's... Uh, it's insane to me. <laughs> to tell you. <laughs> well, does the Canadian government sort of like subsidize you for at least some of the hardship that you're going through? Or do you kind of just have to deal with it as a small business and sort of not have that many workers or like shorten your hours? Like, yeah. what are so, your options? Here's the cherry on top, Jimmy, is that if your business does well or improves from the previous year, improved mm. like its sales and its revenue, then you don't qualify as a business for any government assistance, right? So we have been able to be in that situation where actually our business improved from last year, but because we hustled and got our business going and our revenues increased, we get left out from all the you know, the grant, the government grants and the rent subsidies and all of that, that is given to everybody else that basically just locked their doors and didn't bother mm. to try. And yeah, it's kind of unfair, but I'd rather be in this position where we don't need help than in a position where we're handing out a hand to the government and asking them for grants and whatnot. So mm. I'm happy this way. Mm. Well, are your competitors that like kept the prices the same? Are are those ones that got like government assistance or are yeah. they hustling just like you? Well, yeah, like I'll give you an example. Like in one of our stores, we have like a neighbor that a restaurant that has like a pizza store and mm. they've been basically, you know, they shut their doors since this whole thing started and they've been able to get enough grants to pay off themselves, their landlords, their everyone, and not basically not do a thing, just have the door shut. So from this perspective, it kind of feels unfair. It feels like, you know, it feels right that, you know, if you're not able to adapt in this environment, then, then you should be kind of like liquidated and other entrepreneurs can take up that space and, and make a model that works better in this environment and, and so on. But that's just not the way it's working right now. And uh, mm. in that sense, it's kind of unfair, mm. but who cares? You got to pick up upper sleeves and that's Bitcoin. So they can do whatever they want. Mm. Hmm. Well, that's kind of a very noble way of looking at things. But let's talk about inflation a little bit, because you told me that chicken prices went up 30%. Is this affecting any other part of your business? And like, you know, some of your competitors are dealing with it by like getting government grants and things like that. How are other people dealing with it? At some point, you have to raise prices, no? Yeah, at some point we're going to have to do it. But even if we raise prices, Jimmy, we can't raise prices by 30%, right? Mm. So even if we do raise prices, it does end up hurting our margins. So all we can do is just be competitive as much as we can mm. and then 
raise prices enough, raise the quality enough that we're still a profitable business that does well. But mm. yeah, there's nothing, it's not really like we have a lot of options to choose from other than financial strategy options like Bitcoin. Mm. Mm. Like, did the prices just sort of like go up right away? Or like, how did that like sort of trickle into your business? Yeah, it started with like, so for example, Costco would come because we buy directly from like the big farms because of our distributor business. It buys enough meat for like more than six restaurants. So in one point, Costco came in and they just bought all the chicken in the market. All of it. Mm. And we had to resort to kind of like sourcing our chicken from like the black chicken market, you know, (laughs) and and so it it started with just supply shortages like that, Mm. where a big player will come and just buy up all the supply. And then uh, the next time supply comes, it'll come, but like it's at a higher price now. So, yeah, you just have to deal with it. Thank God we have, like, our buying power is still pretty large. And then Mm. we can get chicken on the cheap, kind of. Other Mm -hmm. people that, you know, if you're, if you just have a mom and pop shop and you're buying chicken, the price of chicken over the past year has gone up like 50%. Mm. And that's devastating for a restaurant business. So it's pretty bad on restaurants right now i would imagine it's the same for like other types of businesses as well with mm. all of their supplies and, and stuff like that but for restaurants yeah it's pretty bad mm. well it's interesting because when prices of raw materials go up you would think that the end price needs to go up to compensate but as you were saying like a lot of people just don't want to buy it if the price is going up, they'd rather, you know, they'll like cut back on purchases of things that are getting more expensive and go with something yeah. else. Yeah. And that's definitely something I've seen in my own life. You know, I'll go to Costco and I'll see like, you know, prime ribeye went up to 20 bucks a pound or something. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, this was like 12 bucks last year. What the heck? Yeah. I, I, I don't want to yeah. buy it now. So, like, at what point can you actually raise prices? Because, you know, it should go up that way, but people seem very much not willing to pay the extra. And, you know, you either end up with, like, shortages because, you know, you can't produce that many if you're not making a profit. Like, when does that happen? And how do you think, like, sort of shows up in your business? Yeah, so what happens in the restaurant industry, Jimmy, is that, uh, the power over time kind of consolidates to the big players like uh, McDonald's and, and Popeyes and these guys. And, and how it happens is, you know, you, you have the costs of your items go up. You try to fight it off as long as you can. And then you eventually, you know, cave in and you start raising prices. Like you said, Jimmy, you know, when you see prices of, things go up, you're going to look for something else. So people, customers are going to say, okay, well, no, I'm not going to get a shawarma uh, today. Maybe I'll get a cheeseburger from McDonald's, Mm. right? Mm. And then what ends up happening is that people that used to consume maybe one cheeseburger a month don't end up consuming 
four, five, six cheeseburgers a month just mm. because of the economics behind it. And then in that way, power consolidates to these bigger firms. And the same thing happens with tech companies, even like you can see how like Google, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, these these tech companies were able to, you know, form monopolies in their industries and consolidate power over time just because of their economies of scale. And the same thing happens in the restaurant industry. It's just we have we just have like, you know, chicken monopolies and beef monopolies here. <laughs> and yeah, we just eventually this is why you gotta we focus on quality because no matter how much price that we raise prices, we wanna make sure to let, you know, our, our customers know that you are getting good quality product here. We're not yeah. compromising on, on any of the meat or chicken or, or anything like that. So at the end of the day we will have our customer base. We'll focus on giving that, you know, that experience alongside with the good food and that's how we grow as a business mm, yeah. in this crazy well, environment <laughs> yeah like an extremely crazy environment where your costs are going up but you can't raise prices very quickly and you're kind of caught in the middle there and whereas your competitors are getting subsidized essentially by the government it just seems like a very tough time to do the right thing like you guys have been doing yeah, yeah. Thank God we have mm. Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which brings me to the strategy that you guys have been going on, which is, you know, keeping your treasuries in Bitcoin. How much, like, if you didn't have Bitcoin, like, what would your business be like? And how difficult would things be without having sort of that savings available to you? Yeah, like I said, Jimmy, we would be uh, like, Bitcoin just put us in a position of strength. We can see the world. We feel like we can see the world more clearly now. And we can see what's going on with our competitor. Like even these small dynamics of, you know, monopolies and like food costs and inflation and stuff like that. Bitcoin kind of opened our eyes to a whole side of a fin this financial system that we had no idea was was important you know until today and it's been a blessing and it's been it's made us better business people it makes us know the value of real money like all the money that you know that we have is all debt everything mm. right mm. and bitcoin is the only thing is one of the few things that you know that's in our financial system that's actually real Mm. And it's not debt, you know, and and that's something that's pretty big in our culture, even in our religion, you know. That's and that's something maybe you can touch on, Jimmy. And I was mm. talking about this with Dave over the Miami conference, and you know, we were talking about how you know there's two billion Muslims in the world that have no idea how their money works. And if they knew how it works, they would all go running towards Bitcoin. Mm. And uh, the reason for that is, Jimmy, is that in the Muslim faith, we're forbidden to use 
interest, right? Mm. We have something called like halal and then haram. Okay, the halal is mm-hmm. like permissible, just like for, with the chick, like the meat, you, you'll find like halal meat. But that mm-hmm. just means permissible. And then the opposite of it is haram. And so what's halal in our money is supposed to be anything that is that has no interest. Okay, anything that mm-hmm. has interest is haram. And then what you realize is that the whole you know, world global economy is running on debt. And everything mm. in your life is has debt in it and has interest touching it from the mortgage on your house to your car to your business to your to everything, right? Mm. And you know, you realize that your whole world is kind of haram and the only mm. thing that's actually halal is Bitcoin. Mm. Right. And it's kind of blasphemous to say, you know, because a lot of Muslims will, will disagree with me and, and mm-hmm. will just say I'm crazy. And I'll say, what do you know about, you know, what's halal and haram? And they're going to, they would skewer me for saying this. But, you know, if you mm. think about it from first principles, this is actually what's going on. And, you know, we've just been dancing around this fact just because we're, deeply entrenched into the debt economy and the debt, you know, the debt financial system. But if people actually knew what was going on, you'd find 2 billion Muslims around the world just running towards Bitcoin. (laughs) And that would be a good message to kind of get out there. I would get skewered for it, for just talking about Mm. this. Mm -hmm. After talking to John Ballas, he kind of told me, you know what, Ali, people are dying on this hell. You know, this is a good message. If you want to talk about it, you should just go for it. And so, yeah, here I am. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's interesting because, you know, you're talking about how the whole system is built on debt. A lot of businesses, a lot of small businesses are built on debt and they are extremely fragile, which is why they need all these crazy government bailouts and so on. But your business, because you've built it on Bitcoin and you have the savings and so on, you're a lot less fragile and you're able to overcome a lot of the you know, problems that you're encountering and you, you can sort of thrive through this environment. And that seems to me the direction you want businesses to go in is is to be a lot more resilient to sort of like economic shocks and so on. Whereas, you know, that hasn't been the case. You know, most businesses these days are built on debt. And this like haram halal thing that you're talking about seems to be like a very good suggestion as a way to build like better, more stronger businesses that can sort of withstand, you know, shock events like we're seeing. Yeah, it's exactly like you describe it, Jimmy. It's just, it makes you more anti-fragile. Mm. And being in debt, especially being in debt in a tough time, is one of the weakest points you can ever be in your life. And we do have some debt just because, you know, we're in this, the whole world runs on a debt economy, right? But we, you know, we have... Bitcoin, we have the option to pay all of our debts off in an instant and not be 
not bend the knee to anyone anywhere, right? And that's where the anti-fragility comes from. Like I said, you know, we're always in a position of power. We're always in a position where we love what we're working on. We're not working because we're trying to catch up. We're working because we are passionate about this business, right? It's mm-hmm. a subtle but big difference, Jimmy, in your mindset mm-hmm. and in your business decisions. You know, when you're just working because you love what you do and, you know, you're in a position of strength, it just makes your life so much happier and it makes you just a happier person. But when you're in a lot of debt and you're just working to catch up and just try to, you know, catch the inflation rug pull that's happening, you're not in a good position mentally, physically. You're just trying to do everything you can so that you can catch up to all these things that are going up in price and that house that you want to get is running away from you year after year and you're you're trying to you're trying to catch up. It's just a demoralizing, depressing feeling. But when Bitcoin is your unit of account, everything is getting cheaper. Right? Mm. Over time, everything is getting cheaper. And that just changes your philosophy on life, you know, and your mm. ethics and your mood at work, you know, it mm. changes everything. And, mm. you know, people make fun of Bitcoin or sometimes they say, oh, you guys say like Bitcoin fixes everything. You know, it fixes a lot of things. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I didn't realize this until I was fully entrenched with my life and my business and my kids, but it really does change everything. And, you know, before Bitcoin, I wanted to have three kids. After finding mm. Bitcoin, I want to have five kids, six kids, you know? <laughs> I'm more optimistic about the future. I'm more, I'm rationally optimistic about the future. I'm looking forward to it, you know? I think, you know, I think my family is, is going to thrive, you know? And mm. that's a big paradigm shift to what most people think right now. So it's a beautiful thing and I'm here for it. I'm here to promote it. I'm here to do whatever that, you know, a restaurant chain can do to help in this economic revolution that's going on. And I'm happy to be a part of it. Yeah, it sounds to me like you have like a real, you're getting real satisfaction out of running your business because you're actually providing value and you're not having to rely on debt or government subsidies or anything like that. Instead, what you're doing is actually providing value to your customers. And, you know, instead of having to service debt and all this other stuff, you're able to say, okay, well, I'm providing value. I'm clearly doing something that other people find valuable. And that seems to me much more satisfying for you than, say, being in debt and, you know, having to you know, constantly worry about that aspect of it, which unfortunately is the reality of a lot of small businesses. Like you seem to have found like an alternate path that's a lot more satisfying and gives you a lot more of a positive feel going forward. And to the point where you want five kids and not three, which is great. Yeah. It sort of reflects a an optimism for the future that many people that are in debt don't have. Yeah, that's true. That's what Bitcoin is, Jimmy, and it's a wonderful thing. And it's mm-hmm. it's a wonderful thing to be able to think like this in this world that we're living in right now because everybody 
around me is thinking the opposite. Everyone around <laughs> me is thinking that, you know, their dream house is, is running away from them. They're, you know, they're, they're, they won't be able to afford education for their kids. So they're mm-hmm. hoping that their parents can leave them enough money in their inheritance so that they can pay for their kids' education. And it's, mm. you know, and this is what people around are really concerned about. And for us, for my family, for my partner's family, for, you know, for everyone that I got involved into Bitcoin, we stopped thinking like that. And we started taking responsibility for ourselves and, and we feel secure about, you know, the future of our, of our kids, or the education of our kids, you know, and the future of our business, the ability of us to secure homes. Like it's, it's been a super like life changing year. All of this mm-hmm. happened, Jimmy, like for us in 2020 <laughs> right? and then 2021, like this is, this has been a life-changing year for us, and we attribute a lot to it, most of it, to Bitcoin. So, yeah. Hmm. Well, uh, it's been, the hour has just kind of flown by. Where can people find you, your restaurant, all the stuff that you're going through? Like, where can people find you? Well, thank you, Jimmy. It's, a, it's a, an honor and a pleasure to be on your show. I'm a big fan. Thank you for having me. Hmm. So people can follow me on Twitter or at the real tahinis and we're just a you know restaurant uh, twitter account that shit posts on twitter and we tweet, <laughs> tweet about bitcoin and so yeah people can definitely follow us there if, if people have any questions regarding bitcoin on business balance sheet shoot us a dm we'd love to help you out with that answer any questions that you have and yeah and we're here for the ride <laughs> Sounds like it. Well, thank you so much. And yeah, I really hope that the lockdown ends so I can go check out your restaurant and eat some meat there. Anytime, Jimmy. You have a home in Ontario, Canada. <laughs> All Bitcoiners do. I love it when Bitcoiners come over and, and um, you know, we eat good food and we talk Bitcoin and it's a really good time. And so, yeah, anytime you're in the neighborhood, show is on me. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thanks. Thank you, Jimmy. Unchained Capital is a new sponsor of this podcast. I recently joined the Unchained team as an advisor on the engineering side. I know the team well, and I'm excited for what Unchained is building. If you need multi-sig, collaborative custody, or a Bitcoin native financial services partner, learn more at unchained.com. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Bitcoin Fixes This. Ali and Tahini's restaurants can be found at at the real Tahini's on Twitter and tahini's.com. Until next time, fiat, the lenda est.